Hello everyone and welcome to another brand new episode of the Bamboo Talking Tech Podcast. I am your host Ellen Smith from the marketing department here at Bamboo and this is us talking tech, sharing our experiences and chatting to an array of industries and experts to talk all things tech and technology. But uh, but do you know who we are? Well if you do then thank you, we very much appreciate you being here but if you don't let me fill you in. We at Bamboo work with our business clients to ensure that they have the right comms and IT in place and that they're getting the best from it. That means focusing on the future as well as the here and now. As such, we provide connectivity, IT services, software and the digital assurance to wrap around all of those services. For today's episode, we are speaking about the importance of technology in the media industry, and I have found the perfect person to speak to. Uh, In this episode, I am joined by Lex Beckett, who is the creative director at Squashed Robot. Squashed Robot are a Cheltenham-based creative content agency who specialise in uh, creative video marketing, photography, so whether that's studio, product or event photography, as well as film, TV and documentary projects. I mean, so yeah, pretty much to sum up, they do image, moving or still very, very well. (laughs) And so it is that time to grab a tea or a coffee, whatever it is that takes your fancy and listen as we talk tech. Hello, Lex. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. thanks for having me on. It's, seeing uh, you in person is very nice. <laughs> I, it does make a change, doesn't it? Yes. It's uh, No, I'm really excited. It's uh, good to talk to you. Brilliant. Um, so as always, I'll get straight on in with all of the questions. Um, my first question being, what does... Uh, well, actually, no, let's let's scrap that. Let's go to who you are and what you do. Who is Squashed Robot? Oh, that's a that's a good question. <laughs> no, so um, Squashed Robot, we, we call ourselves a content agency, which essentially means that we assist our clients in making and producing all kinds of content, whether that be video production, TV shows, radio shows, podcasts, adverts, photography, animation design... And anything else you can think of. So yep. really for us, the the thing that kind of makes us unique is is the people at the heart of it all. And the fact that, you know, we, we get to know our clients and, and we join them on their journey. Yep. And as their requirements grow, we can facilitate that. Brilliant. Well, so what would you say technology means for you and for Squash Robot? Well, th- this is a funny one. <laughs> and you're probably not going to like this answer. But I say to a lot of my clients, Squash Robot isn't a technology company. Okay. We're a people company. Yeah. That said, you know, we it'd be pretty hard to film something without a camera. Yeah. So, you know, the tech the tech for us is is an essential tool. You know, you, you you wouldn't be able to go down south on holiday if you didn't have a car to drive in, but it's not the destination. Yeah. And so for us it's it's about the technology getting out of our way to let us do what we do best, and that is the human side. So for us, technology has to be almost invisible, it has to be reliable, it has to be functional, and it has to be kind of I mean, it doesn't really exist, but future proof, you know, we're we're making content now, which might be used for another few years. So what we can't do is shoot something that looks dated. Yeah. Does technology for your clients and technology for your staff mean something different? Uh, I suppose in in a sense. So, you know, internal technology, we have, you know, local area networks, we have servers with data on them. We, you know, the the average office-based technology of yeah. phones and emails and things like that. And where that kind of extends to the client, I suppose it would become more invisible to the client. And again, you know, our clients don't choose us because of we use X camera or X computer. They choose us because of what we can produce using those tools. Yeah. And so actually it should be, in theory, invisible to our clients. 
Actually, I think that's um, what we were, um, I was discussing with uh, Lauren uh, a few weeks ago, actually, it was the difference between tech and technology. I think there's actually, even though it's the same word, somehow it feels slightly different. So obviously this podcast is Bamboo Talking Tech, but I think if we called it Bamboo Talking Technology, it would somehow have a different sort of connotation. Yeah, it almost feels like you. there's a higher barrier to entry, isn't there? Yeah. You, you kind of have to know a bit more about it, but we all use tech every day, don't we? And yeah, exactly. Yeah. And a, a big part of my job actually is is talking to clients about the way that they use tech or, yeah. you know, especially with things like social media. And for example, if a client requests something like a video and you sort of say, look, you know, if you thought about the platforms it's going to be on, is it going to be in vertical mode, yeah. portrait mode? They say, oh, I don't know. Don't care. You say, <laughs> what about the last time that you were on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok? For example, do you ever watch it with, with the sound on? And actually that human factors of technology is what we're all about, you know, yeah. because... Yes, you've got the technology there. We've all got ear pods and we can we could listen to the sound, but just the way that humans interact with technology, yeah, most of the time people don't. And so actually it's that understanding of the human, almost the human psyche and how it adopts technology. And you just need to look back at history. At, you know, the, the, so there's technologies that have been successful, which have shocked us, and there's technologies that have been really unsuccessful, which on paper should have been. And, you know, the first electric vehicle was produced in the 80s. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. <laughs> it was a flop. Yeah. Know? And so some t sometimes it's about timing. Sometimes it's just about the, the thirst for people. I think there's generational change as well. Yeah. It's that behaviour sort of side of things as well. Like you say, yeah. you know, in the middle of the day, you might not watch the audio on it, but then late at night before you're about to go to bed, that might be how you're going to watch a video and how you're going to consume it, maybe longer content or shorter because you're about to go to bed. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. And that, that's what it's all about. It's, you know, we work a lot in in the tech sphere as well. A lot of our clients work on things like electrification of aerospace or, or transport. And you realise that actually the human factors become so key to that. So, for example, you know, trying to roll out an electric vehicle into a town centre. Yeah. Actually, the biggest blocker is that people are scared of autonomous vehicles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it's sometimes the... The delay isn't in the de development of the technology itself, it's the people. Yeah, yeah, actually, and, and then the world around you, like you say, with the electric vehicles, sort of going off on a bit of a tangent here, but I did actually see something on um, Twitter a few days ago where they were, uh, people were charging their cars from their homes, but that meant that there was, a, you know, a wire coming across the street. And so they'd put the sort of wire covers over it, but people said, oh, it looks like roadworks going on here. This isn't not <laughs> good. And then it was sort of a question about, well, you know, maybe the world we're living in isn't quite ready for the technology that we're already developing. Absolutely. And and actually, we've done quite a lot of work around sort of electric charging and, and grid storage. So okay. one of the things that's really interesting about um, sort of car chargers at homes is we still have these trends of electri electricity usage and they still correlate to things like EastEnders. So there's a huge right. spike in electricity usage immediately after and immediately before EastEnders. Because they're making cups of tea, is exactly. it? Kettles, yeah. And so one of the big restrictors on, you know, if you imagine every house on a street had a charging point and they wanted to charge them overnight, which happens to coincide with things yeah. like soap operas, there's not enough capacity in the grid to deliver that much power to each house yet. And so you start thinking, you know, how are we talking about electric vehicles relying on things like EastEnders? Yep. <laughs> but it is an important consideration. Um, but just circling back to to yourself and to Squashed Robot, have you had any recent experiences with clients where you've sort of exceeded their expectations and did technology or the way that you provided that service with technology have anything, any part to play with that? I mean, I'm always going to say, ever the salesman, we always exceed expectations. <laughs> um, I suppose 
it's a difficult thing to relay back to technology, but we've we've again going back to it as a tool, and we find new and interesting ways to use tools. And so we've done things in the past. For example, we were we were filming a theater. It was newly renovated, and there was some certain shots that we wanted to get. And so we use drones quite yeah. a lot. And cool. <laughs> drones have got so small now that you can actually fly them inside buildings quite easily. Right. So we were able to fly this drone over the seats of the theater and you know, you can get those angles that just wouldn't be possible otherwise. Yeah, very cool. Um, and this was it was an art deco theatre in London. And so, you know, the, the seat arrangement, the, the fabrics were so kind of key to how it was designed. That was kind of the only way we could have done that. Yeah. And then on the flip side, we, um, I mean, the, everybody always talks about the 4K, 8K, 6K, whatever you want, you know. And It's better than my own eyesight sometimes, well, I think. Abs- absolutely. <laughs> and, and you could argue that, you know, nobody, I mean, we all probably have a 4K TV now, but it's limited how many platforms can deliver that that quality to yeah. us but you know the technology is out there we can already shoot in 8 12k yeah and that's phenomenal size and it's kind of a like so what you know that's not <laughs> going to help anybody it's going to make my video so sharp i can't see any detail but what it allows us to do as producers is you know particularly when going back to social media because we're oversampling so much so we might be delivering in 4k but shooting in 6k or right, or yeah. delivering hd shooting in 4k what it means is that we can then recrop and reuse that footage so for example if we want to do a portrait piece of work a portrait video for tiktok we can use the same footage as we would for horizontal and that's yes. because of that oversampling and it kind of goes back to that future proofing that i was talking about earlier yeah yeah, you can probably you can cut down from what you have rather than cut back up. Exactly, it's, and it's all about, you know for us. Technology is about um, capturing the highest quality data that we can, and it all does come down to data. It's not we don't capture images because it's all digital. We're yeah. capturing ones and zeros, and so it's just about getting the most ones and zeros out of any situation so that we can use it later. Yeah. That does actually, when you say about data, I know you said it, uh, you mean it in a slightly different way, but actually um, I did have a question around your client data because obviously I've noticed over the years you're starting to work with some um, some quite big brands. You know, I think I've noted a couple down here, so I shall oh, read really? them out. Yes. Um, the Mars Singer talk. And, yeah, that was quite an exciting one. Uh, yeah, Jack Whitehall, I think you did a, sort did, of one of his yeah. shows. Yeah, yeah, these are like... And visit Cheltenham and I think Gloucester Bid too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Which... I guess, I mean, it feels quite known within the sort of TV and film industry that things are often under wraps until they're revealed. And so obviously there's lots of NDAs around that and stuff. So in terms of keeping your clients' data safe, is it just a case of trusting your team and knowing that no one will go outside and talk about it? Or is there any sort of thing in place that you have? Well, I think the thing that's interesting about the question over data safety and security is often people are talking about the security of ideas, IP, information. Yeah. And but the, there's another part to that, which is the physical safety of the data. You yeah. know, the data is our most valuable asset well, next to our team, obviously. But, you know, if we've done a shoot for, say, Mass Singer, you know, you can only do that once. That data is highly valuable once yeah. we've captured it, especially before the video has gone out. So so it's kind of a two pronged thing, really. So, I mean, we do obviously have a, a huge amount of trust in our team. At the end of the day, they're physically there. Yeah. And so the the, the people are always going to be the weakness, you know, as with any cybersecurity threat it comes down yep. to people again <laughs> um so we, we do have standardized ndas in place we you know we have nda um, clauses built into our contracts with our clients as well 
Um, for the most part, you know, a lot of what we're doing isn't as sensitive as it could be otherwise. Yeah. Um, so we're not too... It's not like vulnerable data. Or, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, but then in terms of the actual data safety, yeah. and this kind of feeds into that is, so we're probably one of the few businesses that haven't embraced the cloud. And, and actually okay. it's a real kind of, it's not a problem, it's a limitation in the industry that we're in, in the, the scale of data that we're using is so vast that the, the bandwidth just can't support that yet. Yes, Even if yeah. we've got, you know, true fiber and things like that it still actually works out quicker. If you were to transfer a terabyte of data, it would actually be quicker for us to trust good old Royal Mail and post a hard drive than yeah. it would be to upload and then download at the other end. Yeah, I was going to ask that actually sort of, and then the, the physical data side of things, because I, I guess, yeah, you sort of have to physically, you know, memory stick is probably an un... <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Passing on that data <laughs> in a physical sense, which it, when talking about it sounds sort of outdated, but it it isn't really for the... Precisely. Yeah. And, you know, when you actually, yes, we could store our data on the cloud, but, you know, for example, our local servers, around about 100 terabytes. And, you know... That's you, quite big. You, you can imagine how much <laughs> an Amazon web server would be for, for that level of data. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we do is that we have backups in triplicate. So we have physical off-site and on-site versions of everything that we've ever captured. Okay. So obviously the, the the security side, you could leave a drive on a bus. You absolutely could. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's about managing that more effectively. So we have a lot of processes in place and, and it, you know, it comes down to the simple side as, you know, all of our live data goes into red cases so that they're very obviously right. danger. Yeah. Do not you know, <laughs> leave me on a bus. Um, and a lot of it's just down to record keeping processes and accountability really so yeah. we have a paper trail of where any data lives or has ever been so we can actually see who's ever seen this you yeah. know and so we can if there ever was a problem touch wood i'm not going to touch wood because it'll make the mic rattle um <laughs> but yeah so we, we've never had that situation but we would be able to kind of identify quite quickly if there was a leak where yeah. that came from um and that's one of the advantages i think of having kind of a, a relatively small agile business is that there is accountability there. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. And we expect all all of our team to be accountable for for all kinds of security, safeguarding yep. issues as well. <laughs> that was a very roundabout way of answering no, yeah. what was a quite a simple question. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's sort of, I think you've maybe touched on it a little bit, but my next question actually was, um, aside from the obvious necessity for the use of technology, you know, cameras and microphones and things, um, what other technology is used within your business to sort of enhance the experience of not only your clients, but but your staff as well? Well, I suppose one of the things that's quite interesting in this sort of tech landscape is that there used to be a huge divide between professional technology and consumer technology. And so, for example, you wouldn't be able to get a consumer device that could produce quality that a professional device could. Yeah. But actually what we're finding now is that those worlds are starting to merge a bit more. There's a higher demand in consumer spaces for higher quality. So we, where possible, try and sort of embrace the best tool for the job. So, for example, we often use iPads on set for monitoring so we can actually transmit wirelessly from a camera to an ipad Brilliant, and yeah. so the client can see what's going on and and it's just a much more seamless experience than a big bulky television monitor yeah. um so th so there's little things like that um you know I, I did kind of we are on the cloud in terms of our management systems mm -hmm. so again we can access uh you know uh, work os from anywhere so that's quite empowering as well um and we've got a nice coffee machine <laughs> I suppose Most that counts. Part, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, but we do try and keep as much of our processes 
organic where possible. You know, for, for me, it's all about you know, automate the mundane and humanize the exceptional. You know, it, it's about taking, like that. <laughs> taking tasks out of our day that don't need human intervention. Yep. Allowing more time for the human centric thing, which is the creativity. It's the the thinking. It's the, yeah, which is at the, like, the root of everything you guys do. Is exactly, sort of creative. And, and I'd actually argue that even even businesses like yours that are very tech centric, you you know, your clients are people, and yeah. you know, solutions are people orientated. And I know you're very good at kind of understanding those challenges from a human perspective to deliver a technology yeah. solution. You've got to make the technology work for the person rather than making the person work for the technology. It's sort of exactly. yeah, the thing that's Which come sounds up a few very times. Skynet and kind of yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> big advert coming in, yeah. <laughs> are you looking at as in Squash Robot, are you looking at any technologies um in the future? that will improve the experience? Do you have your eyes on anything in particular? Or? I mean, our industry moves so quickly yeah. and a lot of it is quite incremental updates. Um, I won't bore you, but th- there's <laughs> there's a few moments in certainly in my career where we've seen huge shifts in the landscape. Um, but much of, m- most of what's going on at the moment is all quite incremental. But there are some exciting things on the horizon. I mean, things like 360 video um, is quite an yes, interesting one. Yeah. Um, you know, for... for for anyone that's not seen that, it's it's essentially allowing you to move the camera after the fact. So you can jump on YouTube right now and there's, there's stuff on there where you can actually move your phone around and see a different aspect. Yeah. And I remember years ago, it was actually just, it's quite old technology. It was just after the launch of the Lord of the Rings. They they did a scene in 360 and it was nice. really cool because you could sort of look at who Be was a part talking. of the world, yeah. yeah. It's still in its infancy in terms of the implementation. You know, the, the cameras are there, but, you know, the thirst isn't really there. Yeah. And I think, I mean, there's all sorts from from the camera's perspective in terms of things like being able to film by moonlight and be able to have cameras sensitive enough yes. to see the stars, yeah. which has never been a thing before. No, it's sort of super, super long exposures in order to get sort of any exactly. kind of starlight, isn't well, it? Well, yeah. and I remember there was a David Attenborough show. This was, a, this was a good few years ago now. And they ended up using a consumer camera to capture some bats at night because it was in it was the most sensitive camera in the world yeah. and you're talking about a two thousand pound camera which seems a lot to someone who doesn't have it yeah but at the same time that's pitched at the consumer level it's certainly not the fifty thousand pound cameras that we were dealing yeah. with a few years ago interesting and so even even those kind of high-end productions are sort of looking to the consumer space yeah and then there's just all sorts of things happening around um sort of virtual sets Okay. So uh, you know, you might have seen behind the scenes photos from things like the Avengers, where they're all acting on a green background. Yeah. And it's it's really interesting because they they basically just remove the green, put the new background in. Yeah. But it's a real challenge for actors because they're not acting against anything. Yeah, they've got no sort of reference material around them to exactly. go off of. Yeah. And not to mention the fact that you need to match your lighting to the environment that they will be in, yeah. and and it's a real challenge. So there's a real shift now towards virtual sets, which is essentially a massive panoramic screen which projects a warped image so that it looks correct from your eyeballs. So you're actually seeing an almost final shot in camera. And so I I see the trend being more into that direction. Yeah, Things like computational photography, which is a really big thing in mobile phones at the moment. So, you know, take the iPhone, for example, the quality of the cameras improve every time they bring one out. Yeah. But the physical chip inside it isn't actually changing very much. It's all to do with the computational side of how they process that image. And so now professional camera manufacturers are actually taking the lead from consumer 
smartphones to implement that computational photography. So I don't see the physical side of our industry changing too much, too rapidly, but how that data is processed, how it's implemented. What it can do after the the fact as well, I guess, is changing. Because, I mean, 360 and the sort of things we've already talked about, they seem like only a step away from sort of like holograms and stuff. Exactly, yeah. And, And I think... That will always come back to that the human side. I mean, on Netflix, I don't know if if you saw Bandersnatch, which came out a few years ago. I didn't. The kind of uh, <laughs> you can choose your own adventure. Yeah. I mean, if you're sort of like butterfly been... effect, you choose, or maybe not. No. Well, <laughs> when I was a kid, I used to read, read choose your own adventure books, probably a bit before your time. But it would literally you'd hit hit a point in the adventure, and it'd say, "What do you want to do? If you want ah, to yeah. speak to the wizard, go to page twenty. If you want to walk past him, go to page twenty-five. Yeah. And you'd you'd progress the story, and you'd create your own world. Yeah. And so, Bandersnatch on Netflix, and there's been a few more since then, did something similar where you hit a point in a scene, and there's literally a menu comes up and says, "Do you want to say this or this?" Yeah, and you can make your selection. Suddenly, it's your program, your viewing experience exactly. entirely. And you end up watching it three or four times to try and get all the different yeah. endings. <laughs> and so, I think again, that that kind of idea of being able to be a bit more selective in content is going to come through a bit more. And yeah, and people are, people being able to choose what they want to see. I mean, it wasn't that long ago we only had four or five TV channels that were strictly linear. You were lucky if you had a VHS recorder to be able to watch something <laughs> after the fact. But now. I mean, I, I personally don't even have a TV subscription or an aerial plugged into my TV because I use on-demand streaming services. Yeah, I think that's that's more and more common, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But no, it's it's. I see it being driven by the consumer demand, essentially, is what I'm getting at, is that yeah. sense of, I think people want freedom, people want to be able to look at what they want to see. And so that's yeah. where those 360 things and where that kind of human factors is <laughs> going to dictate the technology to yeah. some degree. I guess in terms of technologies that are kind of about and maybe a bit emerging a little bit, um, do you get many requests for sort of VR and AR? Um, from time to time. Um, it's sort of, it's something that kind of exists slightly outside of what we do day to day in yeah. terms of, I mean, VR in, in essence is, it's, it's 360 video, yeah. you know, that's just piped it's through the headset. Really, yeah. yeah, so that's quite, you know, it's actually not as magical as it seems. You know, the, the headsets are just a couple of lenses which present two different images to your eyes and, and give you a sense of depth. So that's actually really easy. You know, yeah. you get your 360 image, process it correctly, and it goes out there. So again, it's that distribution that changes things rather than the capture. Um, AR, I think I think it's going to come about a lot more. Um, okay. I can, I can definitely see that happening more, but you just look at QR codes and they, they've been around for a long, long time, yeah. but only just become popular. And funnily enough, when Apple added it to their standard camera app was when people started doing it. Yeah. So it, you I don't thought, have to download anything to actively go and correct, sort of search yeah. QR code anymore. So yeah. I think as soon as probably going to be Apple, let's be honest, yeah. or Google <laughs> add the AR side into their stock camera apps, that's where you'll suddenly see an uptake. And that's where we're going to be flooded with requests because yeah. they've seen, seen it everywhere. You know? Yeah. And again, it's like a sort of experience side of it isn't it sort of wanting to be within the world that you're creating a little exactly. bit yeah yeah and i did actually see once there was a brilliant ad campaign i think it was pepsi i could be wrong and it was actually um it was technically ar but in a bus stop and so they re- okay. replaced the poster of this bus stop with a with a really high high resolution screen and essentially they showed a live camera feed of what was behind the bus stop so to the average viewer it looks like a window yeah but what that meant that they could do is 
play around. Exactly. So suddenly you see these aliens coming down. Oh, amazing. (laughs) And you can just imagine what that would feel like to just be minding your own business and you're not even, you're not holding your phone up and expecting an AR experience. You just see this thing. And it all kind of comes back to making people feel something. Yeah. And I think for me, that's that's where, you know, you know, we've done a good job is that people yeah. are feeling something, well, whatever that is. And it loops back to the whole people of being at the centre of everything, isn't it? Because it's, you know. I sound not, like a broken record. Well, now, don't not, I? Well, no, no, no. <laughs> I just mean you're not creating content for the sake of it. You know, there's always a, like a purpose to it. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, so it's, we always want to be open to tools at our disposal because yeah. I think that's. That's where it gets really fun in brainstorming sessions when it's like, oh, I've seen this thing. Let's try it. Yeah. And we can we can experiment. And that's that's what keeps it fresh and fun. Yeah. Did you with um obviously with the big the P word pandemic. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> did you have to adapt your sort of service model, I guess, in any sort of way? Yeah, we did. So in the early stages of the of the first lockdown, you know, as as everybody else did, we went through went to home working yep. and um we had a few challenges. I mean, so I'd say probably three key factors, really. So the data, which I already touched on in terms of the volume yeah. of data, um, that that was quite a challenge. We were physically delivering hard drives to different people in their yeah. homes. Um, but also on, on the human side, I mean, we've all been there. You get kind of zoomed out and uh, it, it becomes really difficult to collaborate. And with what we do, a lot of our collaborations kind of ad hoc. It's not always a kind of, right, we've got an hour now to come up with some ideas. Yeah, You might just think of something and shout across the room. So um, we were quite lucky in that Film England um, gave dispensation to the to the video and film industries. Okay. So it was only a few weeks after that first lockdown that we were able to pick back up conventional shoots. Yeah. We did, however, there was a huge fall off from things like event-based work. I mean, obviously of course, yeah, things yeah. like The Mass Singer, were just, it was just happening in such a different way. And so we did pivot in some ways, but, you know, we found that doing things virtually worked quite well with certain clients. So we were able to even interview people virtually. And because everyone was living in that world, actually, the quality of a video call is is a known entity. (laughs) You're not expecting (laughs) Hollywood. So we did quite a lot of that. And it really kind of allowed us to refresh what it is that people come to us for. And it really is that, that guiding hand, the, you know, well, there's this available we think you should use this. What do you think? And that kind of, that slight pivot really worked well. Had you used things like Zoom or Microsoft Teams before the pandemic? Yeah. I mean, I've always been kind of a a bit of a, certainly a, a bit of a geek. I, I do quite <laughs> like it. I've, I've quite heavily bought into the Google ecosystem and stuff. So okay. we already had, had the capability. Yeah. But I suppose the drive wasn't there to use it. Yeah. And so quite lucky in the sense of we already had the capability but it, it was being pushed in to use it that, that yeah. kind of made a big difference well yeah so i was going to ask actually i guess i mean it's the pandemic is this entirely different beast on its all on its own because everyone sort of had to make that jump to Absolutely. using those technologies without um sort of much time to think about every element of it i guess <laughs> yeah but if you had to do anything like that again in the future, not a pandemic related one, I should say, <laughs> um, but in sort of implementing new technologies to adapt the way you work, is there any like considerations you need to take from a sort of client facing perspective? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> um, I, I suppose in terms of the, from a client perspective, you know, conversationally doing that virtually was quite an easy development. Um, in terms of distributing the work that we do, that's all virtual anyway. Yeah. Um, 
So I think as long as we keep our eyes open, I don't really see a desperate need to kind of radically change things. Yeah. Um, that said, nobody saw the pandemic coming. So <laughs> <Very true. laughs> we could all be wrong in a couple of years when it's raining hellfire, yeah. but you never know. I've I've noticed as well, not, not to keep sort of like, I'm not stalking you guys on LinkedIn <laughs> or anything, um, but obviously your, your team is, is growing quite a bit as well. So yeah. I guess in a digital world, is that, how is that sort of working? How has that happened? Well, in terms of the recruitment or the growth? Uh, a bit of both, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose... The the growth is one of those things that, you know, I, I keep harking back to it, but the, the core value of the business, you know, we've been lucky enough that a lot of clients seek us out and, and we get referred quite a lot and it's because of how we work and, and yeah. the way that we are able to work. So it's been quite organic growth, which is, is really nice because it, it gives you that affirmation that we are doing something worthwhile. Yeah. Um, in terms of the recruitment side, I was actually talking to a couple of I say new starters, they've been in at least six months now. <laughs> and it was when we first started this recruitment push. I said, look, guys, how did how did you guys hear about us? What was your experience like of that onboarding? And yeah. what did you think about us before compared to after? And the thing that was really interesting to me was that most of their experience of us was on LinkedIn. And interesting. these are relatively young people, yeah. younger than me, certainly. And so I'd always had this in mind about LinkedIn being kind of I don't know, almost corporate to the extreme. Yeah, and like corporate Facebook. Exactly. But, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> but then you realise that actually there's the, as a social media platform, as, yeah. as, a, as a place where people consume content, it's quite key. And so we've always found, in essence, I shouldn't say this because if someone <laughs> hasn't found us this way, it's quite insulting. Our best hires always come from the people that seek us out. Yes, you know, yeah. Because their values align with us. But I guess that also sort of maybe happens i mean maybe i'm talking out of turn here but a little bit by the nature of your work as well because you're producing content for someone else to put out so exactly. they would have to we are quite lucky go through yes. a few channels yeah, to find exactly. who made that yeah um, and i mean like you say just the nature of, of what we do we're, we're producing content so it's quite an easy leap for us to yeah. to put stuff out there but that that i suppose it's that digital communications platform that is the internet that's what's allowed us to kind of get to know people before we even meet them yeah. and that's been really wonderful and you can apply that to people or, or clients or whatever it is you know it's we all know how hard it is to assess somebody's personality in a one-hour interview you just can't yeah. you know no. and it takes time to get to know people and I suppose what what doing things virtually has really opened up to us is being able to have more shorter conversations over a slightly longer period being able to, you know, not force somebody to come all the way in for an interview yeah, yeah. when we can just have a quick chat online. Slightly and, more accommodating, I guess, if you're... Yeah, just yeah. a bit more casual, I think. Yeah. You know, I think casual is good. And I think another big thing from the pandemic is, you know, I, I get to see inside my clients' houses. You know, <laughs> their kids come and say hello to me when we're on, on yeah. video calls. And, yeah, it sort of breaks down that barrier a little bit, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I used to see technology as a potential blocker to those okay. things yeah. and almost dehumanising. Yeah. But actually having these tools has, has really opened people up and I yeah. think that's that's quite a nice thing people are being more themselves and bringing them full selves into work and I think yeah. that's only a good thing so slightly on that note a little bit actually with um sort of you know you've mentioned I guess you're slightly more selective in your cloud usage and there's a lot of physical um data handling and all these sorts of things but would you still consider yourself a digitally advanced business I suppose so. I'd like to think so. Yeah. I suppose we like to think ourselves as, as quite advanced 
but it doesn't define us. And I suppose yeah. that's where the delineation lies. But I did have a conversation a while ago with a specialist, um, a specialist network implementer for the film and TV in- industries. And they put us together a package and said, oh, you should be using this, that and the other, and it's going to cost you X, Y, Z. And I kind of responded to the quote and said, well, we already are. And, yeah. and that kind of surprised me because we never set out to be trailblazers and things like that. But it was just we had this problem. We needed to fix it. That meant new technology. And so it was kind yeah. of a means to an end. So so we've been running a, a 10G network for, for years now, um, for pretty much as long as it's been available. And that's something that few, quite a few people are only just coming to now. What's a 10G network? I should know. It's, it's exactly what it sounds like. Okay. 10 times faster than, yeah, got you. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> Don't tell my team. <laughs> we are recording this, you know. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's just much, much faster than, than an internet connection because so the, that's on our local network. So that yeah. that's not how fast we can access the internet. It's how fast we can pull data off our internal server, which yeah. is completely offline. That's a, a closed loop, which, again, just that security side is... is it's just positive. Yeah. It just just helps. Um, and things like um, the raid systems. So um, again, that? just to boil, <laughs> maybe we are quite techie. I don't know. So um, all of our data is stored on on what's called a raid server. Um, I'm not going to try and remember what it stands for. But no, the idea is uh, it's uh, it's redundancy. It's data redundancy. So okay. it, we used to be restricted to kind of raid one and raid zero, which was either you know you have one drive that backs up entirely to another drive mm-hmm. so you have to have twice as much storage as you have data yeah that's moved on quite a lot now we're in kind of raid 10 territory where you can kind of it spans data across multiple drives so that if you okay. have say say you've got a net, uh, an array of 10 drives you might be able to lose five of them yeah or six of them before you actually en- have encounter issues and exactly yeah. yeah i mean don't don't quote me on those numbers. That was definitely no, no, incorrect. No. But I won't but, test it either. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that sort of thing has really helped us because it not only you know makes the data more secure, but it means that your read write speeds are quicker. Yeah. And so it's little things like that that affect the usability. And at the end of the day, if somebody's wasting time trying to drag stuff off a server, yeah, that can be quite a big impact on someone's day. And it'll have a knock-on effect to the the client, I guess, at exactly. the end of the day as well. If you've got deadlines you need to meet and something's, you know, taking extra long time to... <laughs> exactly, yeah, you got it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I suppose all of our tech development or technology development has been around that kind of, we have a problem, let's find a solution. Yeah. And that solution has always been some form of technology. Yeah. I guess um, by nature of the world that we live in, really, it's sort of unavoidable, isn't it? I'm Absolutely. pretty sure I've said that sentence on almost every podcast episode that we've done so far, but it, it, <laughs> it keeps boiling down to that sort of... The endless march of technology. Yeah, yeah. it's the way the world's going. As I, and I've also said um, that I see the future being as Futurama, and I, but ever since <laughs> I've been a kid, I can't get that out of my head. So whenever we're there, I'll consider us, you know, future ready. <laughs> I have to admit, I, do, I was interviewing a, a oh, deeply, deeply intelligent person who's really carving the forefront of, uh, you know, electrification of aerospace and the first question i asked him i was like so when are we going to have flying cars <laughs> can't be far away surely it's so close there's literally a company that are just waiting for their sign off and oh, and wow. it's a four-bladed drone-esque two-person vehicle that literally can go anywhere oh it's terrifying but so exciting all at the same time it is, yeah but and you know it's exciting isn't it yeah and, um yeah i suppose that sometimes it is those easy questions isn't it that really kind of yeah 
because that's what we're excited about. I'm excited about the stuff that we don't know about. You know, like there are certain things that you just never ever consider until they're there. Yeah. And that's the stuff that, because you, you can't predict it. It's like trying to guess what the other colours are without, you know, your own eyesight. <laughs> what are they going to look like? Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, I think I find that a bit exciting. Well, and it's it's that kind of, um, we're, we're so distanced now from, from the core. Uh, ask anybody how a computer actually works. Yeah. You peel back the layers to a certain point. But let's be honest, for the, for, for most no of us... No needs to know, do they? <laughs> but it's like, I can get to a certain level of simplicity, but then when you start talking about, okay, but how does a microchip work? Yeah. No idea. I still picture the internet as that um, scene from Willy Wonka where all the bits are going across and they're <laughs> making the bar smaller from On the Mike ginormous TV. one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but clearly from looking outside the window, that's not quite the case. Well, so. it, I mean, it's not too far away either. Yeah. <laughs> Potentially difficult, but maybe interesting question. Interesting. If you could stake your house on one piece of technology over the next five years, what would that be? Oh, is this a new piece of technology or something that's already around? Or Whatever you like. <laughs> oh, that's a difficult one. I suppose it's more of a theme of technology, which we've definitely touched touched on already, is, is the on-demand side of, of yeah. consumption. And so I think that particularly as, as younger generations come through, you know, people set their own trends. Nobody knew how big TikTok was going to get. And it, it overtook Google recently as the most oh, viewed really? URL, which blindsided everybody because to compete with Google, that's extreme. Yeah. You know, we don't search for things anymore. We Google it. Exactly. And Google's just sort of like, it's, it's part of... It's part of our DNA as yeah. digital <laughs> people, isn't it? And and to know that TikTok's overtaken, it really shows how vast the audience is. And so I, you know, I don't know what the next social media is going to look like but it will be dictated by the people that use it. Yes. And yeah. so, you know, that move away from linear TV, the, the move into more kind of on demand, the more kind of bite-sized things. Yep. And so I suppose that's a really cop-out answer to saying that whatever it is next will be dictated by people. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's absolutely right though, isn't it? Because it, it's exactly how it's, it's sort of... Um, maybe a slight tangent again but a bit like social media how you know when it was sort of first around you'd be able to say well you know post on wednesday at 11 a.m and you'll get the best amount of <laughs> interaction but now it's like it's anyone's game really exactly it's, and yeah. anybody that tells you that they know exactly how social media works <laughs> and they can get results are probably lying yeah. it changes so rapidly and just trying to understand the algorithms behind the way that they aggregate content yes yeah yeah and that's the know, bit that yeah the, the tiktok algorithm is scary it's, it's <laughs> they've 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 bottled addictive content consumption. Yeah. And, and, and that bite size bit is what keeps you going exactly, and going and going. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it used to be that we'd sit and watch EastEnders all evening, but now we sit yeah. and watch TikTok. Well, now we'll say that, you know, it's too late to watch a two hour film, but then sit on TikTok for two hours. Precisely. You've got it. Exactly. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I think that that's, there's not much I can stake my house on there, but, but yeah, I definitely think that that's the trend that's going to keep going and yeah. keep picking up steam. What sort of advice would you give to a company like Bamboo, who are obviously quite traditional in their sort of telecoms and cybersecurity and connectivity, all those sorts of things? What it advice? Very would... traditional, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, it's not, but I guess I'm at the core of sort of technology. Use, I suppose, yeah. yeah. What advice would you give to that sort of company um, looking to help companies like yourself with your technology needs? I suppose um, I, I know you guys, so I know that you're already doing this. So it's, again, a bit of a cheat. But for me, it goes back to that understanding the why, understanding yeah. the people, the users and realising that the biggest blocker to any technology is going to be a person. 
And so actually cater the messaging to the lowest common denominator. You know, we don't need to convince tech people that tech's good. They already know. And, you know, I, I suppose that's it in a nutshell. It's like yeah. if you understand why you're doing it and if you can make other people understand why it's important, everything else falls into place around it. Yeah. Brilliant. So it's that data's at the key of everything, but really people are at the heart of everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and what is data if not personal information, which defines people? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, All comes back around. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I think we're too quick in society to almost forget that. And I think we can kind of think that we're doing technology for its own sake. Yeah. And, but actually. There's always someone at the other end. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for joining me for this episode. Yeah, we're done. Yeah, time flew. (laughs) That was really good fun. Brilliant. Thank you. And with that, that is the end of today's episode. Thanks once again to Lex for joining me. Uh, I just, I think it's so cool how each company and industry that we talk to seems to have, you know, an entirely different take on why technology is important to them, which I mean, (laughs) is obviously the point because it would be a little bit boring if everyone had the same answers. But the, the difference in the focus areas for these industries is where things really start to sort of come apart and be quite defined in that sense. You know, so for Lex and Squashed Robot, the key areas for them are clearly you know, what what can house that level of data that they produce and how that can be transported safely, be that physically or remotely. Whereas in contrast, when we spoke to Shane Gibbon from Keys Group, the focus was very much on the sort of protection of that vulnerable um, client data and, and sort of sticking to compliance and very strict regulations, which obviously, you know, both industries are focused on both of those areas in their own regard. Um, but, the you know, the sort of priorities and how they fall obviously are, are a little different, which, uh, yeah, it provides great conversation. But as always, if there is anything you'd like to know more about or any questions you have about the podcast episode itself, you are more than welcome to send us an email. Uh, and you can do so by emailing hello at bamboo.tech and we will be sure to get back to you. Otherwise, you can check out the rest of our episodes where we debunk topics such as digital transformation and digital assurance. And yes, if you're wondering, there is a difference between those two. And uh, and we also speak to other sectors about the role that tech plays within their businesses, as I sort of just mentioned a bit previously. But for now, that is it. And we will catch you in our next episode. Thank you.